Hey everybody, this is JD with Trackstar Sports, and you're listening to a new episode of New Stars. Uh, with me, we got all the interns here at Trackstar Sports. Like I said, I'm JD. I cover NBA breaking news. I'm John Meek. I'm on a tandem with Lee, and we cover the NFC East football. Hello, everybody. It's your boy here, Lee Thomas. I'm here with Trackstar Sports. Like uh, Meek said, we cover the NFC East. Dallas Cowboys. He covers the New York Giants. I'm Matt, and I do the debate of the week on Mondays. All right, and we are going to start out talking uh, about the Madden rookie ratings that just got released. They haven't given out all of the rookie class yet. However, they have given out a solid 20 rookies, their first um, ratings on a video game. Uh, Hopefully college athletes won't have to wait to be in the pros to get uh, ratings for much longer, but that's the topic. For another day, some of the notables uh, that were given ratings um, just the other day by Madden in the NFL, Baker Mayfield of the Cleveland Browns getting the 81 overall rating, giving him the highest rating for quarterbacks behind him is Lamar Jackson at 79 overall, followed by Josh Rosen at 78, Sam Darnold at 75, Josh Allen at 74. Over on the defensive side of the ball, Raquan Smith of the Chicago Bears got the 81 overall rating, followed by Bradley Chubb at 80, Derwin James at 80, Denzel Ward at 80, and Vita Vea at 79. Running back, Saquon Barkley is getting the highest rating so far with an 82. Behind him is Darius Gauss at 78, Ronald Jones is second at 77, Sony Mitchell at 77, and Nick Chubb at 76. And finally, the top five wide receivers of the rookie class D.J. Moore of the Carolina Panthers with a 77, followed by Calvin Ridley, also with a 77, Dante Pettis with a 76, Portland Sutton with a 75, and Anthony Miller with a 74. Guys, your first impressions of the Madden 19 rookie ratings as they stand right now? Well, I'll go first, Lee Thomas. I'll I'll go first. Um, I felt like they were decent, actually, um, they were they were okay, you know. Um, they gave um, Baker Mayfield his throw power is 95, his speed is 81, but I think his catching was like 33 or seven or something like that. He actually made like a, like a lot of good catches, like he said um, in the video when he were the athletes' reactions. He actually makes a lot of good catches when he was uh, with uh, Oklahoma. So he caught a TD pass. Did, uh, right? he, yeah, I believe so. So he wasn't he he, he can catch now. He can catch. Um, the good thing about him, his play style should be more like Russell Wilson's instead of more of like a, you know, a Johnny Manziel type of, you know, quarterback. His, his skills should be more like a Russell Wilson. And that, that's kind of what started the Browns with that. And I feel like that was a decent uh, overall for um, Baker Mayfield's 81. Lamar Jackson at 79 overall. Not bad, not bad at all. I, that's, that's pretty decent. Josh Rosen, I feel like Josh Rosen should have had a higher um, rating. Then Lamar Jackson, he had 78, and Sam Darnold. I don't know, I don't know how Lamar Jackson got a higher uh, rating than uh, Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold yeah. and Josh Allen, but mm-hmm. I guess that's basing off like his um his his pure athletics, athlete skills um and his speed, his raw speed. So I guess that gives him an advantage, I guess. But I still don't know how they um the other guys are actually more true true quarterbacks than he is. But I'm not saying Lamar Jackson is bad or anything, but. Yeah, that was a bit fishy to me. Um, defense wise, Raquan Smith, the I like that trash. overall. Yeah, it was. Eh, it, the defense it was, was uh, trash. Derwin James. They got a Vita Vea. 
Oh, well, dang. Yeah. They got Vita Vea yeah, at um, number five with 79 overall, and that's above Minka Fitzpatrick and the rest of those guys. That's crazy to me. And then they got Roquan Smith above Bradley Tubb, which I thought was also crazy to me. So I don't know how I feel about that defense. I feel like um, – I don't know. I always kind of feel like Roquan's a little overrated. I'm sorry. I've I seen him made it. He made a lot of big plays towards the last two games against Oklahoma and against Alabama, but I, I never really saw him pop off screen the way they they talked about him. I'm not really too bad, too big of a fan of Roquan. And that's me speaking, right? Yeah. Yeah. How do you guys feel about Saquon Barkley taking the top spot so far with an 82? Do you think that's fair? For sure. I mean, yeah, he's uh, yeah, he was pick number two. I mean, it says a lot, right? Like about him. Yeah. Six ninety four. He was ninety four. Speed ninety two. That's crazy, my dude. My dude is, is crazy. I can't. I mean, he's. I mean, I can't hate him. I can't hate him. He, like he's in our division. He's like I'm. He's like he's like in a like a division role, but I just can't. I can't hate him. He's he's good. He's good athlete. It's to be seen if he's better than Zeke or not. But I feel like he has what it takes to be top five. He definitely I mean, he's coming into like the David draft, Johnson, somebody like Shady. Oh, go ahead. Oh, my bad. Coming into the draft, he, no, he was definitely the safest pick. Like, I think safest. for the Browns, like, Baker is definitely the better fit for them, but he was talked about, Saquon was talked about as by far the safest pick. So for him to have an 82, it's pretty reasonable. Again, trying to rank players who are yet to play a single snap in the NFL is hard. Um, it's hard for the draft. It's hard for the Madden as well. Um, you know, a lot of these guys will have to progress throughout the years, but sitting them at 81, 82 isn't unreasonable, that's for sure. Did you guys hear yeah, but this year, what Eli Manning had to say about Barkley's calves? That was a joke, by the way. As a, as a Giants fan, let me just say, Eli was joking about – he basically oh, yeah. said that Saquon Barkley's size and the size of his waist and all of this kind of stuff. He, 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 they call him they call him Saquad as a joke because his quads like the size of freaking chair legs. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I think that that's all in good fun. I think that that is very important for the Giants to make those type of comments, actually, because we're transforming from a team who last year – a team who <laughs> – we're transforming from a team whose last year we were all – it was so it was so abysmal last year that we have to have some type of friendship and family, I feel like. And, uh, yeah, he, I think Eli, Eli – he, he's always been the same funny guy that he's always been, the kind of dead man that he has. So, no, I'm yeah. with you. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that accusation, but that's my Willie Thomas saying that Eli Manning's racist. Write it down, somebody. But okay. <laughs> and so, is there anybody on this list that you feel is overrated, or someone that you feel like should have been on this list up to this point and hasn't been? Uh, their overall rating hasn't come out yet because it wasn't high enough. Oh, uh, I, I think I think uh, I think. I think my boy Michael Gallup was rightfully left off the list because he's sorry. I think that, uh, and I said, I, I already said Rokon Smith to me is overrated. I don't think Rokon Smith is better than Bradley Chubb. Michael Gallup, Gallup. Michael yeah, especially, he especially even, since he was in the first round. What are talking about? I think, I think that, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of wide receivers yeah, in the first round who's rated on that list. But, um, yeah, I, I, think that, uh, I, I, I think that Bradley Chubb should have definitely been uh, higher than Rokon. Lee, uh, Lee what do you think then? Um, I feel like some guys who didn't get, you know, make the first round, I mean, should have been on there, but 
it really is like I feel like this is pretty solid. I think this is pretty solid. Um, run up, I believe. Um, only thing I really had was a problem with uh, Lamar Jackson getting number number two. I didn't really like that too much. Yeah, it's pretty high. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm not a Lamar hater or anything like that. I'm just saying he should have. Uh, he should have definitely made it. Um. Um. Michael Gallup. He was. He should have been on on this top five. I, I believe, but that's just my opinion. Some people say, uh, like Meek said, Meek say Meek say he's trash, but he has like a high, a very high potential. And if he can't, then go watch the tape, man. He actually did a lot, so he's, he's, he's pretty good actually. So he's definitely uh, because if not top five, at least top ten. Oh yeah, top ten. was there weren't ten receivers picked before him. Of course, he's top ten. <laughs> All right, uh, Matt, before we move on uh, to the next topic here, anything else you want to uh, get in about the Madden ratings? Uh, well, I'm with them on Lamar. A 79 is kind of ridiculous. Granted, they probably have a speed at, like, 99. Um, I don't have a ton of confidence in Lamar Jackson to throw the ball. Um, maybe it was because his line was so bad at Louisville. But we'll just have to see how he progresses sitting behind Joe Flacco for a little bit. But to start him out at 79 is a little high. Um, I also just want to go on the record and say Cortland Sutton is going to be the best receiver in this draft. They had him at 74. Next year he'll be 94. But uh, I, I debate that. I think he's going to be Calvin, <laughs> to be honest. I debate that heavily. I think Calvin's in the best situation. All right. Fair. Whatever you say on that, man. Whatever you say on that, I mean – I mean, Michael. I mean, if you look at guys like Michael Gallup, uh, Cortland Sutton, oh, Anthony, man. I feel like Anthony Miller. Anthony Miller's gonna be high. Anthony Miller's gonna be pretty high. That's somebody that I really thought was really good. Anthony, Anthony Miller's really good. And I feel like, yeah. I feel like this whole this whole matter, they just went off pretty much based on you know like you're getting drafted. Like if you got if you pretty much got drafted late and you were good and you could have been a first round talent, like they didn't put you on this list. Like that's kind of crazy to me. Like they pretty Anthony much went Miller's off, on oh, the list and he got went drafted. In the second round. I mean, yeah, that's I mean that's true. But still, if you look at He's like he's like one of the best wide receivers pretty much in the like in the draft. But if you compare him to guys like Courtland Sutton, Courtland Sutton should be that high. And if you look at guys at Dante Pettis, like I, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's yeah, and it's all I, I feel like they just want to like plays out just draft, draft order. That's what I mean. That makes sense I, though. I feel like that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Though. I I think for me personally, I feel like uh, when evaluating rookies, they should look at like just the teams that they're on and what they're expected to do. Like, uh, there's a real big push for the first three wide receivers picked off the board being Cortland Sutton, DJ Moore, and Calvin Ridley to be pretty good wide receivers because they all, they all go to teams that have an established wide receiver core. Except maybe the Panthers. But then again, Devin Funches isn't bad. They have, uh, they have I forgot the, uh, the the sophomore guy. I forgot his name, but he's pretty good too. And uh, I, I just think that those three teams are in positions to where they can excel. They don't have to be big playmakers week one, but they're going to get their catches, and I think that's a big part of it. Uh, I think with guys like Michael Gallup, we want to talk about him. I think they're expected to do so much that they might not live up to it. Unless they have that Odell, like Odell Beckham impact straight off of week one, they're probably going to fall behind a little bit because they probably need a bit of adjusting to be able to, you know, play at that star not, level. They don't I think they, be, it doesn't have to be an Odell Beckham, like, you know, type type skill level, it can be like an Antonio Brown type skill level. It can be a Stephon no, Diggs type skill super, level. It doesn't have to be No, no, no. Like I'm saying the superstar level. I'm saying like like these guys, like Michael Gallup, uh, uh, let's, let's say Anthony Miller, they, they, they're going to teams with absolutely no wide receivers on them. The Chicago Bears, I mean, they got Taylor Gabriel and a couple other guys up there who can catch the ball. But for the most part, the wide receiver spot is really to be taken. And I think that when you put guys out there, 
it's not really giving them any time to learn, and they really just have to take command. Uh, you know, when Odell was in his freshman, uh, freshman season, he, uh, our offense was still bottom, was bottom ranked. It was still bad. It, it revived it a little bit because he was getting his individual numbers, but it wasn't really doing anything for the team. So I think that if a guy can't live up to that kind of pressure, then, you know, he's going he's gonna to bottom out. And I think that's, that's kind of my fear with picking guys like Michael Gallup and Anthony Miller and even Nate Washington who plays for the Steelers. I think a lot of it has to do with just where they're going and how they're going to be used. And I think that the first three wide receivers picked off the board, which are the first, you know, first three highest in the Madden ratings, are probably going to be the best, to be honest. Well, do you think that doesn't affect – like, you, you don't think the same thing for Calvin Ridley? No, no, I'm saying that Calvin Ridley is going to a very fabulous wide receiver core with Mohamed Sanu and Julio oh, Jones. So, yeah, yeah, when, when, when he gets there, there's no pressure to be a superstar right off the bat. He's going to get some catches cause, you know, just because of his name, but defenses aren't going to draw up schemes solely for him and he's going to be able to get his opportunities and make the most of them so he can really see how well he's going to play, and he gets a chance to learn. He's not going to be thrown into the fire like Michael Gallup or uh, Anthony Miller where they're going to have to pretty much take command of their, of their team. They, not, and he's not going to have to take command of their wide receiver court. That's what I'm saying. And it's not – yeah, that's the thing, though. It's not necessarily that – it's not necessarily that he's like that – like take a take command. It's like the fact that, you know, we still have guys like Cole Beasley and Terrence Williams, but Terrence Williams is not – He's trash. not back to trash. He's, he's, he's been trash. But at the same time, we have a guy like Cole Beasley, which he, which he isn't terrible. Cole Beasley isn't terrible. He, he had a down year last season, but he's not, he's not trash. He's not, he's not terrible. My dude still can uh, cut up on the, in, in the inside, like in the slot. He still can cut up. But if you have guys like Terrence Williams, guys like that, like they're going to fall like, like underneath for guys, for new names like, um, like Noah Brown, Michael Gallup, Lance Lenore, Deontay Thomas, Thompson, Allen Hearns, guys like that are going to rise up and step up. But the good thing about the Cowboys is we have a squad line. Bunch of practice huh? squad guys. Wow. Yeah, yeah go you, ahead. You're go right. Ahead. Some practice squad guys, just like your old line is. But at the same time, um, it's like you know, it just it's it's a lot that you guys have to work on. Like we all have things we have to work on. I mean, what? Like the Cowboys old line. Like, that's a good. That's a good bailout. Can I say this one thing about the Giants real quick? I know it's not it's not the place really, but I just want to say this about the Giants. People talk, people talk about their O-line without knowing the knowledge behind it. Nobody realizes that. Well, people – no, people people, people realize – no, not this. this I want to throw this out to all three of you guys and see where it goes. Nate Soldier is the highest paid left tackle in the league. He's blocked for Tom Brady in, I think, three or two Super Bowls. He has that, you know, that prestige about him. He's a, oh, he's a natural-born leader. Um, and Patrick o- Omaha, I, forgot, I forget how to say his, to pronounce his last name, but he was the highest rated guard in the playoffs last season. Then we have Will Hernandez, who's pretty much a first-round pick when it comes to, you know, being a guard. And then we have uh, uh, Eric Flowers, who's playing – Right tackle, which was his natural born position. That's the position. Right. That, that's the that's the position that got him drafted top ten. Now I don't know if he's a bust. I do think. Yeah, I do. He's a bust. Yeah, I do. I do. I I think I think Eric Flowers with the position change might be uh, a little bit better, but we'll see. But I really do think that this O line is better than what him, we saw last year. Let's see with him though. He has. He has he's the only shot, guy. Right? Wait, wait, wait. He has more shot, right? Right? But yeah, but this is what I'm saying though. Before you get your give your opinion, let me just say this: He is literally the only guy from last year who will be starting on that old line week one. So how can we call it trash? And they're all projected to be better than what we had last year. That's my question to three of you. What's the question? Going off. <laughs> uh, the question. Yeah. The question is: Why do people say that the Giants old line is going to be trash when they only have one starter from last year still on the team? I don't think they're going to be trash. 
I think the they were bad do, a lot of it still have the taste of last year in their mouths and just watching how bad that Giants team was. Um, so I think a lot of it is just the last image they have of the Giants isn't exactly mm. a pretty. Okay. And the fact I mean, that a lot of people I mean, hate the Giants. In... Say it again? Like the Giants uh, are an easy... no. A lot of people hate the Giants. It's... The Giants are an easy team to hate. Yeah, so, I mean... because Eli's a derp. Eli... Eli's a derp. We've seen all the memes of him. He's a derp. Like, it's... <laughs> it's very easy to hate on Eli because he doesn't really say much. He's not flamboyant. He's just kind of there. You know, he doesn't really... He has still presence as a veteran, but beyond that, he's kind of a guy that's easily to be joked about. And, uh, you know, and, and especially with Odell and his antics. So I can see, I can see why you say that. Yeah. I don't feel like in the league they'll be trash, but they have to but they have to step it up, man. You guys have a good um offensive coordinator, you guys have a good coach. So honestly what it comes down to is man, you guys are kinda of set up to be in a in a good position, but it can't be the mistakes, man. It can't be the mistakes with the new um with the new running back coming to Saquon, I'm not gonna say he's gonna be trash, but he, he's not gonna necessarily like like rely on that old line too much, you know, because he's a good running back from you know, with the with the with the without a good old line, he's still he he's gonna be good. But the O line has to step up, man. Eric Cross has to step up, man. This is this, this is probably like his, like his last shot. This is probably his, his very last shot, in my opinion. Or he's gonna, or he's going to the trading block, or he's just gonna get cut. So the O line has to step cut. up. I, I know this is the first time. Maybe so. Um, but he has to step it up, man, for like for the better of the team and just you know just you know just for himself. I don't think if he gets cut, I don't think nobody else is gonna pick him up. They see that he was a bust. And I mean, like somebody, I mean, somebody might give him a chance like on the practice squad, but the but the like the Giants O line has to step it up. Um, other than that, you guys are pretty much stacked. Linebackers are okay. Cornerbacks are okay. I mean, it just kind of comes on the coaching at this point. How can you guys use the coaching? Because I've seen, I've seen, I can't tell you how many times, guys, we've seen uh, players, good players on the team, but terrible coaching, and it's, it happens. But coming off a team, you know, like you guys have the Vikings old um, coach, so you guys have what it takes now. I mean, he comes off a good playoff win uh, with the Vikings, so it just kind of comes down to see how can he uh, utilize the team fully, and yeah. All right, all respectable opinions. I'm happy with the responses I got. <laughs> all right, well, if you're good, I'm good. And with that, we're going to move on to our next topic, a discussion for today's episode. Uh, Buffalo Bills running back LaShawn McCoy has found himself in trouble. Uh, just recently, uh, an ex-girlfriend, I believe, of his posted on Instagram a picture um, of her face that appeared to be beaten and was bloody. And she accused LaShawn McCoy of domestic abuse and beating their child and their dog and taking illegal steroids. A lot of accusations thrown his way. Mm. Just today, he has hired a defense attorney while there is a police investigation taking place. The police have said it's a home invasion and that there was one lone intruder and that this house was specifically targeted. McCoy claims he has not seen his this ex-girlfriend in months. Um, guys, what is your take on yet another scandal for the NFL and one of their um, more recognizable players in LaShawn McCoy? What's your take on this incident? And even though we're still early on in all the detail-gathering process, what are your first impressions after hearing this? And, um, I feel like. Start... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I guess. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, you're right. Go ahead, Matt. You haven't really talked much. Right. Oh well. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, 
we don't really know the full details. Again, this is another story where there's just a lot thrown out at once, like all out, out of the blue. We don't really know a lot of the details. Um, we definitely need to hear a lot more of what's going on. Got to hear what the police have to say about it. But granted, the NFL needs to do something about this. I mean, this is happening a lot and with big-name players. So it's not something that they can hide. They need to address this. How exactly, I'm not sure. Uh, but they need programs in place for these players because when you're in the NFL, you're working out all the time. You're hitting people all the time. Like You're probably more physical than the average human and for sure a lot stronger. So you need to be able to contain that, and the NFL has to do something about it. Yeah, I agree. That's a good way of saying it, that, you know, regardless of the specifics in this case, you know, at this point it just the NFL needs to figure out a way to keep their players from getting into these positions. Now, obviously, you know, if it's proven that this woman is making false accusations, there's really not much the league can do in terms of stopping people from lying. But if there is any sort of truth to this, they really – and it's not like this is a lone incident. This is a – pattern that's been taking place they do need to figure out um, a new system to hold people accountable and be able to put them in a better position in life to not be accountable for any sort of bad actions like this the pool i mean like we said it's really early on still in the process there are details saying that mccoy just a few weeks earlier i believe had changed the security system and had removed cameras from the house there's a lot of different stuff in here that just doesn't look um, good in McCoy's case. The lawyer he hired is the same one that was hired for Ray Lewis back when he had his oh, trial. Man. Yeah, <laughs> oh, man. After his murder oh, charges man. were later dropped, which even if, you know, the lawyer was able to get the charges dropped, having – your name now connected to the Ray Lewis murder case, I don't think is exactly good for the PR side of this whole thing. If you're LaShawn McCoy. Oh, so yeah, that's, that's my take on it. Uh, Lee, your first impressions of the story. Well, I was, I was like, dang, honestly, um, he's been having like a lot of, um, honestly, firstly, it's, it's sad. Honestly, let me just say that it's, it, it, it's sad. Cause you don't know who to believe. You obviously want to take up for the athlete, but no, sometimes it's not. Sometimes the athlete is, is in the wrong. Um, either way, we all know it's going to get it's going to be hell for him. And the Bills, honestly, just, just prepare themselves. The Bills fans, the Bills organization, just prepare themselves for it because even if it comes out the um the cops or whoever you know says something like, oh, I feel like um he didn't he didn't do anything or they have witnesses and all that. The NFL is going to bring up the whole thing again, and it's going to be a long process. So any. And he has, like, a history, you know, of, like, you know, this is this isn't the first time, you know, he's been involved in something, you know, that's been controversial as far as, like, what like, a woman goes. I mean, stuff, I mean, stuff's been dropped before. I don't know all the details of that, but, I mean, people come out before saying that he um he's on X, Y, and Z. Um, his wife exposed him. Like, it's just been, like, a lot of things that's been going on, but this may just this may just take the cake, so I don't really know what's going to happen with that and him going forward. So, I um we only can kind of, like, sit back and wait. I kind of hope it gets the same, you know, he gets – if it if it is something that he did, I hope it gets you know what you know he gets like a a reasonable punishment. Um, I feel like nobody uh pick favorites. NFL can't pick favorites at times. My my personal opinion, they can't pick favorites depending on the team, the player, and the situation. 
Um, we just got to see how, how it all plays out, honestly. It's kind of my take on that. And, I mean, in terms of the, the punishment, getting a fair punishment, I mean, if these allegations are true, there's a chance, I mean, for some serious, yeah, not he, just NFL punishment, from legal punishment from uh, the, yeah. I mean, from the government. I mean, he could be facing um, potential jail time, depending on the accuracy of the allegations and the severity of it. So, exactly. I mean, this isn't anything to be taken lightly. <clears throat> Meek, anything to add to this developing story? Man, these dudes need to take a class. I feel like the best – so there's a couple factors into this. I feel like the entire domestic abuse conversation when it involves, when it involves football, I think that we have to look at other sports and how they handle it too. The, everybody always says that, you know, football is a particular, particularly specific sport for domestic violence because of the nature of the sport, how, you know, physical it is and how much contact is involved. And I think that in order to, you know, look at anything that's kind of likewise to that, you have to look at something close to it like rugby. And in 2015, com posted an uh, article which said, Rugby has a domestic violence problem. So we see a trend with sports that have a lot of physical contact in it that, you know, there's going to be a lot of domestic use involved. Who knows why? Maybe it's because, uh, you know, testosterone and people working all day and all night, you know, uh, you know the, 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 the daunting task of having to prepare your body to be out there every day, that kind of thing. Who knows why, you know, these players act this type of way. But rugby and football both have domestic violence problems. And uh, we, we also know that in, let's say, basketball, a big problem in basketball wasn't domestic abuse or anything like that, but the players, after they were retiring, were going broke. They were, you remember everybody was cracking jokes and how, oh, you'll be in the league for 10 years, and then two years later you'll be broke once you're out of it. We were all cracking those jokes around 2015, 2014. It, it's just what happens, right? So what guys like Metal World Peace did were they said, hey, we need to give these rookies classes. We need to have mandatory financial classes in order to prepare them for life after retirement before they even mm-hmm. set foot on their, you know, game one. So I think that football should start an approach like that because if you don't educate these people on how to maintain their emotions when they're in such a physically, you know, in such a, a physical environment, I think that we're going to keep seeing cases like this. Whatever the NFL is doing, you know, ushering sanctions and this, that, and the third, and fining people, suspending people, and all of that. It's not working. Nobody cares. They keep hitting women. It doesn't really matter. And I don't think that these guys are guys that want to do this. I think that sometimes they're just blinded by their own rage, rage, and they don't really realize how strong they are, which is exactly what these classes will be for. You need to be able to control your anger when you're that big because you have a responsibility to the people around you to let them be safe, you know? And I think that if you do implement some type of structure like this, we'll start seeing a lot less cases, or we'll even get in a public a public opinion change on it. At least, we'll, at least people will be able to see that they're starting to at least try to do something differently. And, again, nobody makes jokes about basketball players retiring with no money anymore because Metal World Peace kind of helped fix that. He started putting mm-hmm. the classes in for the rookies, and it helped that way. So I feel like uh, when they start making positive, positive movements toward the right thing, then we'll all start to kind of pour more into what they're trying to build. And I think that Roger Goodell, a big part of his thing is he doesn't want any type of tarnishment on the league's name. And I think that cases like these where they suspend the player or they just find him is not going to do anything because it just, it just adds to it to me. I, yeah, I think comparing it to the other leagues is a good way to get a better grasp of the situation. And even – even though there have been some allegations made against NFL players that have later been proven to not be completely true, it seems like For the most part. Even, yeah, even those kind of scenarios seem to be pretty 
uh, exclusive almost to the NFL. Like, I feel like you're, you don't even hear false allocations in other sports, let alone as many true ones in the NFL. And so there is just a question on how this, at least that circulated in the media. I mean, maybe there's a false representation in terms of the amount of stories for cases in baseball or the NFL. But as far as I hear, I feel like I'm here. I always hear a lot more about the NFL than any other sport. So there is, I think that the NFL does need to kind of look inward and figure out why this sport or the lifestyles um, of the players um, attracts this level of negative attention and negative actions. So, I mean, we've talked about it on this show maybe through, this might be the third time I think we talked about it with Jameis Winston a few times now with LaShawn McCoy. So obviously there's something going on uh, in the NFL and their players that needs to be taken care of and stopped before more senseless violent acts keep happening uh, to the victims. And before before we move on to the next topic, anybody else um, care to respond to any of the points that have been made up to this point? Um, what I just have to say to like everybody is, I feel like this is going to get this is going to get worse. I think somebody's going to have to become like an example. I mean, a few have already become examples, you know, kind of got kicked to the league and et cetera. But I don't know. I feel like they should start doing more for like the women, you know, because they come up with mm. like allegations. And I think no, no matter. I've never really seen a case where there's been an allegation. I mean, maybe like a few, but more, but more, but more than none. I mean, more chances than none. It's going to be the guy gets in trouble. I mean, mm. if you look at the case with Ezekiel Elliott and the chick, she said, "Okay, your career's going to be over." Blah blah blah. But it, it necessarily wasn't over. It's like he got punished no matter what. Like he's going to get punished in the situation. Like he's going to get punished. Seems like if there's like any type of like connections or anything like that, no matter how you. No matter how many facts you like, you have, there's gonna be like some type of punishment just for being involved. I, I feel like, so mm-hmm. it's like these girls kind of know what to do. Like, oh, oh, your career is over. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z to you. Like, your career is over unless they find direct information saying that she was lying, or et cetera. She was just up, like up, like just like her blind. Same thing with uh, with David Irvin. His girl, his girlfriend came out and said, like, like, like your career is over. But once the NFL like finally stepped in, she was like, no, no, no. I was just kidding. I was just kidding. And like there was like they're not getting in trouble for that, which is which is bogus to me. Like the girls should get in trouble for that. Like that's just crazy to me. They should get in trouble for that. Like that's just no, that's not. That's uh, that's no boy. That's no at, good. You have to look at uh, Gary and Conley. I don't know if anybody remembers Gary and Conley in the 2017 draft. He was a he was a really good cornerback, but he uh, was falling because he had a rape charge, and he plays for the Raiders. And Gary and Conley is actually suing the girl who accused him of rape because they found out that the case was faulty and that she was lying, and now he's counter suing uh, her. For I think the defamation of character. So I, you know, I, I do think me personally yeah, wow. on that end, I I feel like a lot of times these guys, this is what happens. Everybody thinks okay, she lied on him about a rape charge or about sexual misconduct or something along those lines, and you know now he the league is still intervening. The problem with these players is even though she lied, that they, they, usually these players do something that still violates league conduct policy in some way, shape, or form. So if it, if it isn't the first charge of them actually having you know, sexually abuse somebody, it's really a secondary charge of them still violating league policy. So they're going to be suspended e- either way. What happens is if, you, if the NFL suspends anybody for anything that they don't have actual claims for, they can be sued in court for that, and that's why it doesn't really happen. So best believe, every time they suspended somebody, they usually are in the right for it, I believe. I believe very few cases does, you know, do the, does the NFL really suspend people 
for, you know, just doing, you know, absolutely nothing wrong. For the most part, they probably broke some type of secondary condition in the NFL league policy that's not public and that we don't know about. So now, you know, we feel some type of way. But honestly, it's probably what they signed up. I feel like these these people are, you know, they know they're knowledgeable about the contract. That's why they have, you know, a whole million dollars worth of lawyers behind them. So I feel like, um, for the most part, I am. I feel like it's the player's fault for the most part, like 95% of the time. I feel like you do get those rare cases in which, you know, somebody's just completely lying and the player has done absolutely nothing wrong, like in Gary and Colony's case. But for the most part, they violated the league policy on some level in some way, shape, or form, and that's why they get suspended, not, you know, just the initial sexual abuse uh, charge. Yeah, true. Either way, like, they're going to get in trouble for something. And I feel like if they do get in trouble, like, they exactly. should. But at the same time, like, the policies are just kind of bogus, no matter how you shape it. Because pretty much how it, how it is is, like, no matter what you do in the situation, like, you're, like you're pretty much going to be pinned against the wall. So unless you pretty much don't do anything and, like, you walk out, like, for example, if, like, if she's, like, punching on you or something, and, like, you push to a wall, you're screwed already right there. Like, like, like you're screwed. Like, like you're, you're pretty much screwed. Even if you're trying to push her, like, off of you, like, like you're screwed. Like, no matter what, like, like the policy of you, I'll make you, like, get in trouble, like, no matter what. Unless you just pretty much just let her punch on you and you don't do anything. Like, somehow, some way, it just seems like it's just too much. Like, like, the policies are just crazy to me. Like, they're just crazy. I feel like they're too strict. And I don't know. I feel, I feel like the players don't even have a voice, to to be honest with you. They have no voice. When it comes to that, I don't think either. I think domestic violence is such a big thing in this country that they really don't have a voice when it comes to it. They have voice for other things. Like they the, uh, the uh Yeah, the NFL Player Association is actually suing the NFL over the league uh, the league anthem policy. It, they just did that, like, last week. They're suing them for that. So they do have a voice. It's just when it comes to domestic violence, it's very, very hard to convince people that a 6'6", 320-pound man had any right whatsoever in any context to, you know, do anything to a, a, a woman. You know, it's very, very hard. That's a very uphill battle, I feel like. Yeah, that's a good point, and I think that's what we're going to leave it on here as we move on to our next topic. We're going to stay within the NFL the supplemental draft took place uh, July 11th, I believe, the day that we're recording this year on Wednesday. And two players were selected the most since 2010. The Giants selected Sam Beal, a cornerback out of Western Michigan. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And Washington Redskins drafted Adonis Alexander, another cornerback, cornerback excuse me, from Virginia Tech in the sixth round. And I'm going to turn to Jameek here to start this one off your thoughts on the supplemental draft results. Home run. Home run for my G, man. Can we, can we, uh, can we edit in a little clap, a round of applause or something? And that's, Sam Bill is an absolute baller. Sam Bill is 6'1". He runs a 450 in a 40-yard dash. He had 10 pass, defense, uh, pass defended uh, last, last season. And the guy, to me, the guy, he, the thing about Sam Bill is, he would have been probably a top 100 pick, meaning he probably would have gone toward the bottom end of the first round or, made, or, or top end of the second, except for his academic credits. A lot of times with the supplemental draft, it's for, first of all, the supplemental draft is for people who cannot be eligible for the NFL actual draft, and so they go into the supplemental draft. But a lot of times nothing really happens with that, and teams don't, they forego their selection because the supplemental draft has you forego your picks for the next season in the actual NFL draft. So, for instance, the Giants pick uh, Sam, Sam Bill in the third round of the supplemental draft. Next year we lose out on the 2019 third-round pick. So that's why a lot of teams don't really do that because it's a high price on a guy that might not be worth it because they usually come with character flaws. But here in the case of Sam Bill, he didn't have a single character flaw. Uh, Sam Bill was literally only non-eligible for the NFL draft because 
he had a problem with his credits at his college. So it's very rare to see a guy go into the supplemental draft with no red flags off the field. Guys that came uh, from the supplemental draft are like Chris Carter, uh, Josh Gordon came from the supplemental draft, guys like that. So, you know, people who usually have red flags off the field carries over into their NFL career, and then, you know, you got to deal with them as it goes, but they're usually talented. And I think in Sam Bill's case, we're talking about the specific corner. I think that with the Janoris Jenkins incident happening and we, we really not knowing if he's going to be suspended for that or if he's going to be cut even because he has a big contract and anything like that, I think the Sam Bill uh, pick was very, very good. I think that we needed it. He's one. He's a lengthy corner. He has time to learn behind Janoris before Janoris is even suspended if that happens. I think that uh, he's going to be an immediate starter, and I, I really, really like the pick. I, I, I watched some of his tape. I, uh, I saw the pick. The, the, he's really famous for picking off Sam Darnold in the USC game. Well, you know, as far as famous could be relative to him. But I, I, I think that he needs to get better with his ball skills. And uh, the Redskins picking Adonis. Adonis, to me, is a floater. He really doesn't know what he wants to be. His natural position is safety, but he floats between safety and cornerback. To me, guys like that who can fit anywhere, it's kind of anywhere. It's kind of like being a master of a lot, but uh, I mean, be, being a, being good at a lot of stuff, but being a master at none. So I'm not really a big fan of Adonis. Sam Bill, though, I do like a lot. And the Giants, looking around uh, today on the Internet, the reactions, the Giants are really excited to grab them. They do forfeit their third-round pick next year in the regular NFL draft, and they've basically said it. To them, it feels like they're just getting that pick early. Not that they're losing one, but they're able to cash it out and grab it early. They feel like Beal is someone who could have been taken pretty highly in the draft had he been eligible, and he's going to add – now to a group of wide receivers where he may be able to actually uh, impact the team now. And if not, they do believe he has a pretty high ceiling. Some people saying this is the best supplemental draft pick since Josh Gordon. He has that level of potential. So I agree. I think that Beal, hands down, the best pick out of the two, and I think can do some damage in this league not too long from now. Agreed. And also, it's very important to know that the Giants are probably going to get that third-round pick back in the form of a compensa- uh, compensatory uh, pick because we let Red- uh, Richburg go, Western Richburg, our center, we let him go, we let Justin Pugh go, and it was another third guy who also carries maybe the potential mm-hmm. of giving us a pick back. So we're probably going to get this pick back. So this is a really, really good move. It's solid. I think Richburg, the, the pick that we can get back from Richburg can go, go, can go as high as up to a second-round pick. So this is really good that we have this. It, it, I, I like it a lot, especially on the uh, – uh, a, a position that we were kind of thin in after the release of DRC. And Lee, any any opinions from you um, after the supplemental draft taking place? Oh, I think Sam Bill is a great pick, actually. I think he's a good cornerback. He has length. You know, he has what it takes. I feel like there should be more lengthy cornerbacks. I feel like a lot of teams and NFL just don't like having lengthy cornerbacks. Um, well, the Cowboys took him to Chris Richardson. Uh, he was one of the founding fathers of the Legion of Boom. He likes longer cornerbacks, lengthier cornerbacks. So I feel like he gets so much time. So I'm all for it. More power to the Giants. And, Matt, yourself, what are you thinking about these picks here? Yeah, um, I think the supplemental draft is kind of, how do you say, like overrated in a sense. Um, I think it's a lot of steam. A lot of people really want the season to come. It's kind of the halfway point between – Maybe preseason, maybe the NFL draft, maybe not quite. But not to say that Sam Buell's bad because I think he's a complete beast. Uh, first but I just don't understand how teams are willing to give up a pick instead of just sign them as an undrafted free agent. Maybe I just don't understand how the how it works. 
if there's like some restriction on that, but I mean, there's, a third round pick is kind of a hefty pick. The the uh the restriction for Sam Bill was uh, basically Sam Bill is a really good player. Usually with supplemental draft picks, they're pretty bad. And they're not bad, but the the red flags off the field keep you away from them. That's why a lot of people don't even pick. I think they haven't picked. No team has ever. No team has picked an uh, actual player from the supplemental draft since 2015. So usually this kind of goes under the radar. But with, excuse me. But with Sam Bill's case, he was going to declare for the 2019 draft, and he was going to be probably a first round pick. But, he, but then he decided to play for the supplemental draft. So from the perspective of the team, they think, hey, we can get him in here a whole year before, you know, he would actually be ready to play. So, you know, instead of getting this guy in the 2019 first-round pick, we use a third-round pick on him and get him a whole year before, and we can train him for that long. So by the time 2019 rolls around, we don't have to wait to get him and use a pick on him. We would already use one. And especially if you're in a position like the Giants, you can just say, hey, we'll substitute – this pick with a compensatory pick, that's probably going to give us a pick that's even higher. Because, like I said, Richburg could even be a second-round pick for us. So it's all about getting this guy in here as early as possible. Because if, if, if he wasn't picked in a supplemental draft this year, he wasn't going to be an unsigned free agent. He would have waited to declare it until the 2019. So that's kind of what happened with Sam Bill. And he, he, Sam Bill's a little different. Like I said, he, he's a very different case because a lot of times these guys do have a lot of overblown steam. You know, like I, I, think, I think the Raiders or somebody signed a cornerback that was uh, undrafted free agent after going undrafted in the supplemental draft. But with Sam Bill, he was such so highly sought after, and he had no red flags, and everybody knew that he was going to declare for the 2019 draft that a lot of teams wanted to, to you know, lock him down for a year before they could actually get to him and train him. Yeah, absolutely Yeah, I mean, it's not right. a bad pick. Was he, he was a junior, though, right? Yeah, he's a junior from uh, West, uh, Western Michigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there are people who had Beal as high as the top five uh, for his position in next year's draft. So I think the Giants made a smart move uh, by pulling the trigger here and bringing him in. And I think it's a great point that you're making that he really doesn't have any red flags like most people who go into the supplemental draft. Obviously, we saw uh, Josh Gordon, that situation play out over the past couple of years and how that turned out. But Beal really doesn't have any. The other player, Adonis Alexander, he was unable to play or be drafted in the regular draft due to his academic ineligibility and the marijuana arrest back in college. He also has had on-field struggles throughout the course of this season. So he's the more uh, typical supplementary uh, pick, but props to the Giants for pulling the trigger here, willing to risk maybe losing out of the third-round pick next year and grabbing a corner that they now have an extra year to develop under their own system. And we're going to switch gears here and we're going to move over to the NBA. It's been a while since we've all had the chance to sit down and talk, and the NBA free agency market has been very busy. A lot of big signings happening. Of course, LeBron James going to the Lakers for four years, Paul George returning with Oklahoma City Thunder, Chris Paul staying in Houston for four years as well. We got DeAndre Jordan to the Mavs on a one-year deal. DeMarcus Cousins yes, signing to the Warriors on the 5.4 mid-level exception offer. So yes, a lot sir. of to go over here. Guys, as this free agency was taking place over the past couple of weeks, what were your impressions it was going through? I mean, I think the DeMarcus signing surprised everyone. Aside from that signing, which 
which one threw you guys off the most? Which one did you find to be the biggest surprise? And, uh, Matt, how about we go ahead and start with you? Yeah, well, I'm not surprised, but I just – DeAndre Jordan to the Mavs, I just don't understand it. I mean, the Mavs are in a state of rebuilding. They're trying to prolong this process by bringing him back – or by bringing DeAndre Jordan to the team. I mean, I just don't understand. They're throwing a ridiculous amount of money instead of just trying to focus on their future. They're trying to save some of their past. So it's not a shock to me. I, I figured they would probably do it, but I just can't understand why. I think that, well, there's a few reasons. One is Mark Cuban. It's pretty simple. I hate Mark he Cuban. has a problem spending money, and he's willing to do it. I love him. Obviously, them missing out on DeAndre a few years ago, I feel like <laughs> now that they had another chance, they wanted to take it. That was one of the funniest things that has ever happened, him getting locked into his own house by his teammates and the whole emojis going on Twitter. Uh, so I think them just having a second chance, they didn't want to miss it again. And I also think the Mavs think they could actually compete <clears throat> for a bottom spot in the playoffs. They are really high on Doncic. Dennis Smith Jr. is expected to take another step. They've got Barnes in at the three spot. The only problem I think the Mavs are going to have with their lineup is they're going to need to have Dirk, like, tied to someone to drag him across the court. I don't know how he's <laughs> supposed to keep up with Dennis Smith Jr., Luka Doncic, Harrison Barnes, and DeAndre Jordan. Um, but that I, that one surprised me, too. I, I'm i just glad as a Mavs fan that we didn't get him for any more than a year. I'm I'm fine with the rental and have him be in our starting center this year. Uh, they wanted to go after Clint Capella, but I think they gave up on that pretty early on in free agency. They gave up DeAndre. What are we talking yeah. about? Wait, 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 wait. So who's the mass fan in here? Me, Jarek. Oh, did I leave the mass fan? That's great. That's like my secondary, that's my secondary team, actually. Oh, uh, yeah? I have a secondary team. Yeah. Because I really don't <laughs> follow basketball like that, of, but I kind of pull. You're a fan of, like, five teams. <laughs> and the maps are the second like, that's one. All, that's all, yeah, like, maps are the second one. Like, what? Nah, my voice sounds crazy. Nah. So how do you, how do you feel about the Mavs signing DeAndre Jordan? I actually like it. I feel like it brings some moxie to the team. You know, we need that in the city. You know, um, you know, Dirk. I say Dirk has like a good two seasons left on him, and he uh, mm. he may hang it up. You know, have Dennis Smith, and I don't know it's. I like it. I think like it's a good move. I kind of wish we would have got him uh, what we did a, a few years back, but um, we'll see how it cool. plays out. We'll we'll see. I kind of wish they would have kept Seth Curry on the on the Mavs, but yeah. he was with the Trailblazers. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. We'll see. Well, right, and what do you, what's the what's the pick that surprised you? Um, you know, you're happy to see DeAndre go to the Mavs, but what was the pick that or a signing that you were surprised to see? LeBron James to the Lakers, man. I'm surprised nobody said that, man. That's that's crazy. Mm. LeBron to the stinking Lakers. But you know, <laughs> I was I was like, I was scared. I was scared for like, dang, man, that goes the Warriors, man. Because I actually like the Warriors. I'm not like a bandwagon for anything like that. I I just like them because you know Steph Curry and Clyde Brothers. I'm not like, oh, but I liked Steph when he first came. Like I I liked him, you know, when he started, you know, getting big and like you know, what college you, you know, big into him. What college you play at? Davidson. <laughs> hey, yeah, you Google search that real quick. How about Google search that fast, bro? Like, I, this guy, 
this guy, this guy's funny, man. I know bandwagon, man. This guy, this guy's crazy. This guy's crazy, man. He's trying to put me on the spot like that. Like, no, don't, don't do that, big fella. Don't do that. I know my stuff. But I feel like, I feel like the Lakers. I feel like that was all right, man. Whatever you say. Um, but I feel like him going to the Lakers. That's um, that's going to change some things. And I feel like that's no longer. I don't know how that's going to work. You know, I feel like I feel like um, with um, uh, and all that. Um, Lonzo, I mean Lonzo and Lavar. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're going to have like a. They're talking right now because I know Lavar. He can't be doing the social shenanigans anymore. Like, like that's going to have to go. LeBron's not going to have that. We already know that's not going to how it's going to work. That's that's the Bronze team now. It's not Maddie's team anymore. That's the Bronze team. <laughs> um, they we know how that's going to go. Um, Lonzo didn't want to leave apparently, you know, because his team um leaked out leaked out of information that he had a, that he had a tour in his meniscus, I believe. Yep. Um So that was very shady. I feel like uh, he wanted to stay with the Lakers. He didn't want to leave. So. Um, they have Rondo, um, Rondo now, so I feel like Rondo could beat out Alonzo. Uh, so we'll have to see. But 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 LeBron wants the Lakers. I didn't like it too much. I feel like he's still with the Rockets. Um, but he didn't like the city. I don't blame him. Um, <laughs> I like him. Don't get me wrong, but I prefer I prefer Dallas honestly. Like I'm like I like Dallas, North Texas more. But yeah, he's just not bad. Well, either, I, but I feel like uh, oh, I think LA certainly beats out. Houston, just comparing those two outside oh, yeah, of Vegas, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. hard to beat LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There were there were some rumors swirling that he would end up going to LA. Um, what really surprised me was them immediately then going after Lance and JaVel McGee. Those ones, <laughs> yeah, more was... than anything. <laughs> I remember I was recording for the NBA breaking news that LeBron signed, and I'm on the phone doing the podcast, and I turned, I put my phone down and checked Twitter right after, and I see that by the time my podcast had ended, that JaVel and Lance were Lakers with LeBron. That that one surprised me. Um, Meek, what do you think about that deal, the JaVel and Lance going on one-year deals, or was there someone else that you were really surprised who got signed? Uh, actually, I would, to me, I don't really care too much about the LeBron thing because I feel like at this point in his career, he was going to go to a city that was more favorable for him and his family. I think his, I, I think, I think his <laughs> wife, I think, his, I think his wife is a native of Los Angeles, correct? Or something along those lines. She's from California, or something. Along, and he he enrolled his son in the school there and everything. So I think he's really at this point being a mature NBA, NBA player. He's really just trying to find a position to where his family would like it the most. I don't think LeBron, but this shows us that LeBron does not care about what we as fans consider to be legacy. He does not care about that, or else he never went to one of his top rivals' teams. But he did that. So I think that's just what it is. Me, I was more surprised that Tony Parker left the Spurs and the way he yeah. left the Spurs. He turned, he turned down a deal. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. He turned Hurt down a heart. deal. And to me, to me, like, that, that's crazy because that's literally signifying the end of an era. Manu Ginobili is the only guy left on that team from, you know, that, that group me. of Spurs that we kind of grew up with. And uh, I, I just think that uh, that's crazy to me, man. It's, it's, I don't know if that's signifying the end of Popovich or whatever the case may be. I think that if Popovich continues to uh, coach, because we all know he's going to stay around at least until the 2020 Olympics, I think that if Popovich continues to coach, it's going to be very, very, very pivotal for him to still have a good team without those pretty much, I wouldn't say Hall of Fame guys. I, I, I think Tim Duncan is probably the only unanimous Hall of Famer out of, you know, the group that he had. But I, I really think that's going to be interesting to see him actually coach a young team and see what he could do with guys who aren't, you know, 
in that Popovich system. So seeing Tony Parker turn down the deal and, and take off, that was crazy to me. Yeah. It, seeing the fan edits of Tony Parker in a Hornets jersey just really threw me off in that teal blue. I, I figured that he would be someone who would retire with the same team that he had always played for. So I'm surprised that he's going to Charlotte, especially considering he'll be backing up a point guard, just like he'd most likely be in San Antonio. But obviously wish him the best over there in Charlotte, and I think having a veteran presence there on a team that has sort of been middle of the pack for the past five years now could really... Wait, time out. Time out. So let let me understand this. He's going over to Charlotte to play a bench role behind Kimball Walker, right? Yeah. And so nobody in the Spurs camps thinks it's kind of crazy that he prefers to do that instead of playing for the Spurs. Like that is, yeah, like that's that, crazy. That, to me, to me, oh, that's, man, that's, going very, on that's crazy. That, that to me, that's like what's going on with Belichick and Brady right now. How we kind of think that dynasty is kind of falling apart because it's like you know they're, they're losing the coordinators and, and guys are getting suspended as far as the Patriots go. Kind of the same thing with the Spurs. You know, the superstars are about to leave. The, uh, the, their veterans are going as well. Pavlich isn't really publicly saying anything, neither is Belichick. So I think that, you know, both of those franchises are a little bit of akin in that sense. That's, oh, they're uh, definitely on the fire. They're definitely on the fire. They're definitely on the fire right now. They have to get some uh, some big names in there like they have to, especially with Kawhi. Um, they want to send Kawhi to the Lakers, but they want they, like they want everything from the Lakers, and the Lakers aren't, aren't going to give them everything. They want, like, they want Kyle Kuzma, some picks, and, like, all this other stuff, like, the – the Spurs aren't going to get that. They're not going to get that. So the Lakers, that's not going to happen. Maybe next season if they didn't. But it's no point having Kawhi just like sit on the bench. Like that's not that's not like that's not going to happen. And he can't pick where he mm-hmm. wants to go. So send him send him some symbols and let's get Jimmy Butler and some and some picks. That's what I say. So. Well, the problem is if he doesn't want to stay. Don't let him stay. Give up so much for him if he's just going to turn around and leave to L.A. I know Paul George was supposed to go to L.A. this free agency, and we saw that that didn't happen. But I think he got a max deal. Yeah, he got a max deal over in OKC and is going to be making some serious bank. But I think that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I want to turn down that deal about his position. Heck no. And I think that Kawhi though is more likely to leave than Paul George was. Paul George never threw honestly a fit and acted like a baby like Kawhi is doing right now. I think Kawhi is way more adamant on getting to LA specifically. So I think it's still risky that the Lakers aren't willing to pull the trigger right now, but I think there's a better chance he ends up in free agency than there was with Paul George. Yeah, I say they should go in. Go and send us Kyle Kuzma and some picks, please. Make it happen. It's not going to hurt you guys too much. Just go ahead and do it. You guys have LeBron. It's going to be okay. Just send us Kyle (laughs) Kuzma and some picks, and I'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, that, I, that'd that be a fun team to watch, him and LeBron. And you got two great defenders and people who can put up 25 points. I think that that would be great. They have to do it. They have to do it, especially with uh, the Warriors getting DeMarcus Cousins. And the crazy yeah. thing about that, too, is DeMarcus Cousins said that, uh, said that nobody called him. So it's not yeah. the it's not the Warriors' fault. Like, nobody called. No. Nobody called him. The Warriors so, didn't even call him. He, he called the back. Warriors. After he, he called them. Called him. Yeah, he was like, well, so no that's the Lakers' fault. I guess I'll check it with Golden State. <laughs> I, don't blame I wonder. Him. I wonder how surprised he was when that happened. Like, I wonder if he called them 
seriously thinking he had a shot at signing with them. <laughs> I mean, that's just crazy. And reportedly, he turned down a two-year, $40 million deal from the Pelicans during the season after his injury and wanted to bet on himself this offseason and then never ended up getting an offer. A third of the team didn't want to touch him for any amount of money. They thought he was too big of a problem in the locker room. So the NBA really Mm. did themselves a number here by not taking a risk on DeMarcus Cousins, who you wouldn't even have to worry about for half the season in terms of being a problem on the court. I don't think – I think that it was really stupid for a lot of teams to pass up on him on a one-year deal. But props to the Warriors for finding a way to get better. You guys don't think that him and Draymond are going to have an issue in the locker room after they start losing a couple of games? And also, let it be said that DeMarcus Cousins in the last two seasons has not played more than 50 games? But losing, losing I feel games. Like, I feel like when when are the Warriors losing games? They were on quite a losing streak when, uh, when Steph got hurt and KD had to take over the reins of the team. That's and he wasn't thing. doing so hot. That's the only thing, though. That's the thing, though. That's if, that, that's if, if everybody's healthy in that, John, and like that, he like, and like the you know like the like the wolves are going like they're good. It's it's going to be crazy. Like there shouldn't be any problems. Like at the end, at the end of the day, like they know they're going to the playoffs. Like that shouldn't be something like oh man, we're not going to make the playoffs type of thing. If they're arguing, I'm, I'm sure like it's been good fun. But at the same time, they know that they like they're going to the playoffs. Like that's that's a that's a must. Like they know they're going to the playoffs. Like they like they so there shouldn't be any reason for them like to be arguing like you know like up there having like consec like consecutive like consistent arguments. Like that's not going to be like the case. I feel like. It may be well, they could get like, knocked like, out like first round. Then. They, I mean, yeah. to, to me, to me, I feel like this, man. Uh, now that LeBron's actually not in the East anymore, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how that West plays out. It's gonna be very interesting, and we know for a fact, without a shadow of a doubt, that the team representing the East will not be the Cavaliers next season. So our finals oh, are gonna look drastically. Our finals gonna look drastically different next season. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's gonna be Celtics. I don't know if it's going to be this. Nah, man, no, sir. No, sir. I'm, no, I'm, I'm nah, really not that high on it. But, um, uh, I, you know, we, we don't mm. – who's to say – here's my thing with the Celtics. Who's to say that when uh, Gordon Hayward returns and when Kyrie returns that they're going to play any better than when uh, Jason Tatum and uh, Terry Rozier were taking reign of it? It's just because Gordon Hayward and Kyrie are superstars and we just think they're drafting going to make a team better? Or do we not take into consideration chemistry – and actual affinity for one another and things of that nature. I think that that Celtics team probably plays as, as good as a Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving, that Celtics team could have done. I don't really think that, you know, there's much of a difference there. If a team produces, regardless of who's on that roster, they produce. So I don't really see that. I think that, I think that they'll look back at last year and say that the ability for those – or the chance for those rookies and the younger players to get out and play together – definitely helps their chemistry and their growth moving forward. But I think that you can add on Gordon and Kyrie without losing that chemistry just because Kyrie did play a majority of the season with them during the regular season last year. And Gordon was around for a lot of the uh, second half of the season once his rehab had gotten further along. And you know that those guys were doing a lot for Gordon and using him as motivation after that horrific injury he suffered. I think that the chemistry aspect won't be a problem. I don't think it's uh, absolutely for certain that they end up winning the East. Obviously, you got to worry about injuries at this point. It's shown that injuries can take a team down a level and stop them from making their full potential. 
So it'll be interesting. To see I was how it last year. <laughs> yeah. And going back to DeMarcus Cousins for a second about the whole locker room dynamic of it, if DeMarcus Cousins starts acting out, I, the Warriors can straight up say, okay, if you're going to be like that, this obviously wasn't a good idea. You can stay home the rest of the year. We'll keep sending your checks. We're going to go win an NBA Finals. Because they, they, they've proven they don't need DeMarcus Cousins. They didn't oh, I mean, need Kevin Durant one of the two years they won before he got here. Who's going to be so the I don't think they'd have any problem just sitting him down if he's that bad, but I don't think it will get to that point because the Warriors don't need him, and he knows that. He needs them, and he's trying to prove to the league that he can still ball. Exactly. Matt, <laughs> it's been a while since we've heard from you. I, I let, <laughs> Chime in here. What do you think about the DeMarcus Cousins deal to the Warriors. <laughs> oh, man. I don't like it. <laughs> that sums it up I pretty well. I get it, but I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, people were calling Kevin Durant a snake, but, like, <laughs> DeMarcus Cousins, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, I mean, look, he's got to prove that he can still play, like you said. Mm. You know, he's not an asset to the team at all. He could sit the bench the entire season and they'll still win. It's just kind of ridiculous at this point. No one in the East can compare to the Warriors without DeMarcus Cousins. Adding him, I think it's just I think it's over before it's even begun. Yeah, I mean they. It. I remember last. I think last year. I can't remember how long ago I said it, but at one point I said this roster. This is before DeMarcus Cousins got signed. This Golden State roster is the maxed out amount of talent that you can have on a team just based on the way the cap's set up. They got lucky with the influx of cap space during Kevin Durant's first free agency, and they were able to sign him and sign in Steph and Clay and Draymond to relatively low deals after their rookie contracts. And that this is the, the max amount a team can get. And then this summer, they go out and for $5 million signed to Marcus Cousins, who's an all-NBA second-team center. And now I just feel so stupid. I'm like, it's incredible that they were somehow able to pull it off and get it done. And I'm, I can't help but give the Warriors props for having one of the smartest front offices and then one of the craftiest front offices that maybe we've ever seen in the league for putting together such a talented team that we've never really seen before. And I want to I wanna talk to all the people who last year or two years ago were saying, oh, Michael Jordan's Bulls could beat the Warriors. I want to talk to those people now that <laughs> Marcus Cousins is on the roster. I don't see how anybody could beat a team with five all-NBA caliber players in their prime in the starting lineup. Yeah. It's just it's ridiculous. <laughs> Ah man, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I that's a hard one, man. I, MJ was a monster. I, I think Prime Shaq and Kobe probably get these dudes and run for their money. And think about what they did. Prime Shaq and Kobe went. Yeah, I think. I think. Think about what Prime Shaq monster. and Kobe did against the, the uh, Sacramento Kings and Chris Webber and those dudes. It's pretty, you know, it wasn't the same team, of course, yeah. but they had yeah. they had play they had playmakers and set 
that were kind of like same skill set. I was uh, skill set. I was good. But I, who knows? That's that's a very hard one. I think the Warriors are trash. Like, I don't, how can anybody be a fan of a team that goes out and gets the best players? That's dumb. Like, they just, just getting the best players. There's no competition. Like your team, there's no oh, like what you you have to buy a new jersey every season. Like that's Ooh. I wouldn't. No, nah, I'm, I'm I'm all right. With that. The Warriors are trash. How is it even fan. fun anymore? Yeah, like it's boring. That's why basketball ratings are terrible. Nobody wants terrible. to see that. That's why I prefer. I prefer football now, man. Like, I've always preferred football, but to see stuff like that, oh, man. At least the Cavs are gone now. Yeah, really. I'm in the Cavs, so. They're here for a year. Screw them. <laughs> Screw them. Fluff them. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's something else. And I'm the Cavs, during LeBron's whole Miami trip and then him coming back, they changed jerseys in the past five years, it seems like, four different times. And so I'm surprised they haven't announced now that LeBron's gone redoing our brand again. But, yeah, the East is going to be exciting at the very least. And, I mean, we saw in the West that an injury can change the thing. So, I mean, you never really know. On paper, it kind of seems like it's favored for one team in particular. But you never know how things will play out, and so I think it's going to be an interesting season. Adam Silver believes that the Warriors are good for the NBA, and that's what he thinks that yeah, okay. they've shown how to build the roster <laughs> the best <way> possible. <laughs> I think if the NBA wasn't signing his checks, then there'd be a different tone from him. But one, one last thing oh, I wanted man. to touch on before we uh, close off Ooh. for the episode was that now that I brought up Alvin Silver, it made me think of this. He said that the league is ready to reinstate 18-year-olds allowed into the league. There hasn't no. been any sort of paperwork oh. or drillings taking place, but he says he thinks the NBA is ready to take that step and allow high school graduates, 18-year-olds, back into the NBA. Reactions to this, I think we've touched on it once before. Do you think Maybe that the, ready, the NBA is ago. ready for 18-year-olds again? Man, send them to college. No. I don't care if they're one undone. Send them to college. It's pointless. I, I see no. I see no real value in in boosting eighteen year uh and boosting young kids up to not really have any talents outside of just sports. Like you gotta like, because if they hurt themselves year nah. one and they can't play ever again, then what's the point? I think that uh, the the, nope. the system just has to be done differently in the sense of everything has to be remade and how they handled, like, the whole collegiate thing. Because, honestly, a one-and-done type of situation is the same thing as you sending an 18-year-old off because they're just 19 at that point, you know? So I, I really feel like the system has to be reworked, and they have to meet some type of requirement or something like that. I know the NCAA has great requirements and things that are nature, like GPA requirements and such, but I think that you have to give more incentive for there to be life more outside of basketball for people who prioritize basketball than just this. Because a lot of them do get hurt year one, and they never play again, or, you know, something happens, so. Any other takes before we wrap up today's show? I'm kind of sick no. of what you said. Send them to send them to college, man. All these, this is how you, like, boost kids, like, like heads up. You know, uh, LeVar Ball has, like, his own basketball league and all that. If they do anything, <laughs> have them go to that. Have them go to that. They're not yeah. going to the NBA, man. Cut that out, man. Go to the league. Don't, don't be promoting LeVar. Don't be trying to move him over there. Yeah, man. I would much rather <laughs> yeah, see him in the NBA than have LeVar <laughs> being in control of these kids. Yeah. That's got to be more dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
I mean, I sent them to pay them. Like, send them, send them to something. I mean, I, I, the D-League pays. Uh, there's that. And that's what most rookies have to do. But then they're starting during the regular season, so it doesn't really matter. But I don't know. I have some transitional period where they get paid to train and they get paid to go to school still or something like that. And there's money for that to be done. It's, you know, this isn't like the WNBA who's having a problem with the pay gap and the fact that, you know, the league isn't drawing in enough mm-hmm. viewers. Like, that's the NBA has topic, actual man. money. Mm-hmm. Damn, really sure talk we... about that, man. Let's make sure we sorry, like, that next week because that is a topic that I think is worth diving into. Yeah, that's a big topic. That's a big topic right there. That pay, that pay between women athletes and the men athletes definitely have to get better. Has to get better. That's for sure. Yeah, tune in next week to hear it. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Shout out to Mike yeah. Moore being on the the cover of Slam magazine this week. First time since the '90s, just the second woman ever to be on the cover of Slam. Um, Sean Alberry. Uh geez, I don't know. I barely know nineties NBA players. I, I haven't studied up on my nineties WNBA players. I can look it up though <laughs> here real quick. Um but Maya Moore is um a great, great basketball player and someone that uh people should be watching if they really want to see um how to play the game the right way. All right, here let me let me look it up here. For sure. First time since 1990, this woman's been on the cover of Slam, and that was Shamik Holdsclaw, if I'm pronouncing that right. Shamik Holdsclaw was the first woman to do it back in 1998, Maya Moore. I can't even name any other basketball players besides Cheryl Suits and Lisa Leslie. I can't even name any. Diana Taurasi, right? She's still around. Yeah, uh, she was in the league back then, but she's she's Reggie Miller's sister. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's it, Cheryl? Right, Cheryl Miller. Cheryl, Cheryl. Yeah, Cheryl Miller. I think. Yeah, yeah. But she was All a right, she was well, a, yeah, oh, she was a dog. Oh yeah, she dog. was giving it to Reggie back when they were playing in the the parking lot and driveway and basketball court. She was. What was the name of the chick that was posted with uh, KD? The chick. Women, but she was supposed to be with Katie. She was, uh, you mean the she woman? Got Katie, but they had not, yeah, the woman, yeah, the woman. Yeah, the, yeah, the chick, uh, or the woman that he was, um, supposed to get, like, engaged with. She called it off because, you know, he was, he, because he was caught cheating. She was good at basketball, too. Like, like I forgot her name, but she's really good, too. The, uh, right. the woman that he's engaged with. Yeah, I forgot her name. I have to look huh. it up. That's just, that's for next week. That's just for next week. Yeah, definitely. So be sure to tune in next week. Uh, we'll talk about that as well as whatever topics may come up here. From uh, from now to then, be sure to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or on most of the social media sites at Trackstar Sports. You can follow us here on Anchor, subscribe to us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, or if you are an Android user, you can find us on Podcast Republic as well. And like we like to end every episode, we're going to close it out with a prayer before we say goodbye to you guys. So, God, thank you for giving us the chance to talk sports and follow our passion all together. Thank you for bringing in these three other interns, the track stars, just so we have the chance to grow and learn and communicate together. Thank you for all the listeners. We hope that they enjoy the show, and we're hoping that our platform is able to grow more. Um, and as always, thank you for all the wonderful, wonderful athletes who dedicate themselves to the sports for really our own entertainment and a lot of them being able to stay humble and give back to the communities with the money they make from being able to work so hard. So thank you for all of that. 
Amen. 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 We'd like to thank you again for listening. Be sure to follow us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're on all those sites. You can follow our podcasting on Anchor, or you can get it through iTunes Podcasts, or you can, if you're an Android user, download from the App Store Podcast Republic and subscribe to us on there. And until next time, you're in the field with Trackstar Sports. This is JD signing off.